Well, good morning. Good morning. Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. We're glad you're here. Uh, my name is Matt, and I enjoy being the campus pastor uh, here in Halstead. And figured I'd start this morning off by telling a funny Fourth of July story for you all to. Uh, uh, enjoy my terrible life choices. Uh, so we were uh, up at a friend's house, and we were setting up a whole a whole show of fireworks up on the hill for everybody. They were down below the hill, and um, we had all the cakes and everything stacked on the, this piece of plywood, and we were using road flares to light off the um, the fuses. Well, we're going; it's awesome, and then, and there's this huge show, and you know, watching it from underneath, and all of a sudden, I failed to realize that my flare had moved its way over top of the box of extra mortars. And all of a sudden, some sparks dropped in the mortar box with probably 15, 20 mortars in there and no tubes to send them anywhere. And my buddy and I yelled, just run and face down and just got skidded with fireworks all across our back. So um, I felt a little bit attacked in the feed today. Um, but I have all my fingers, so we're doing all right. Anyway, make better choices than I do. Uh, so we are in uh, a first week of a series called The Good Work. And if you were with us last year, uh, we actually started this series uh, through the book of Nehemiah. We covered chapters one through seven, and we said we'd come back to it. Uh, and we are coming back to it to finish up the book. It'll take us about three weeks uh, to do that. But if you're not familiar with the story of Nehemiah, it is an Old Testament story uh, following the, the nation of Israel and how God was working and moving within uh, a nation that he chose for a period of time uh, to work through so that the nations might know who he is. And um, they were entered into a covenant contract with God where God appeared to this man named uh, Abraham. And that started the whole process of him saying, I I am going to be faithful to you as a nation if you are faithful to me and I will bless you above all nations. But uh, if you read the Old Testament, the story goes that they didn't obey God. They didn't follow God. They didn't go in his ways. And God over and over and over sent warnings that basically said, if you don't repent, if you don't return, I'm going to remove my grace and you're going to feel the full weight and full consequences of your sinful choices. And God was patient and he was gracious. And for hundreds of years and for generation after generation, he would wait for them to come back. And when they said, God, we don't want you, God said, okay, here's what life looks like without me. And he gave them over to their enemies. And uh, Babylon came in and conquered the nation and dragged them off into slavery. And so they, they went into captivity for uh, in a period of time. And at that point, um, the, the nation of Persia came in, conquered Babylon. And when Persia took over, they said, everybody who's been taken captive, go home. And so they were given permission to go home. But the problem was the city of Jerusalem had been absolutely destroyed. About 92 years later, a man named Nehemiah gets some compulsion in his belly to go back to his homeland and restore it. And he doesn't have the means, but God has so positioned him that he stands next to the king of Persia. Well, he works up enough courage one day to ask the king of Persia, hey, can I go back and rebuild my homeland? Also, you want to write the check for it too while you're at it. And glory to God, he did it. Um, Not only did he send him, he sent him safe passage and he sent him money to begin the rebuilding process. And so um, that's really what we covered last year as we went through the first seven chapters because it details the rebuilding of the wall as they uh, took the rubble and dealt with opposition and everybody trying to attack them. It was incredibly difficult. They had to build a 20-foot wide by 20-foot tall wall uh, by hand. Uh, It was, I think, four and a half miles long. It was an incredibly arduous process. But that was the easy part of Nehemiah. 
In fact, uh, he's going to do a lot of things. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But that was really the easiest thing he had to do was rebuild the wall. What was incredibly difficult to do was to rebuild the people. See, the people had lost their identity. They had lost who they were. They had lost what it meant to follow God as a people. And every time I read through this book, I'm so amazed by what he did in the first seven chapters. But I'm always left with the question as I get to chapter eight, which is where we're going to be today, of, of how do you get a group of people to move in a new direction? Like, I know how to get myself to do that, but how do you get a group of people to move in a direction? I would uh, frame the question this way for us this morning. It's, how do you start a movement? Maybe you've heard the word revival if you've been around church or if you've seen it on TV. And when I hear revival, like, I think of the tents in the middle of a hot summer and a preacher yelling and slamming and maybe there's a snake or two somewhere. Like, that's what, that's what comes to mind when I think of revival. So I don't want you to think of that. I want you to think of how do you get a group of people who are once headed in this direction to change their hearts, minds, and behaviors and begin to move in a new direction. And so uh, that's really what happens in this section of the book. And I think there's some patterns in here um, that are repeated for us to follow. And so for you, as you consider what this looks like in your life. Maybe your family has been headed in a trajectory for generations, perhaps just a generation, away from God. See, the Israelites knew everything about God, but they just chose in opposition to his ways. They chose to pattern themselves after the world. And maybe you feel burdened to redirect the trajectory of your family. You want to change the legacy of what is true. How do you, how do, you do that? Maybe for you, it's a, a place of work. Maybe it's your school, a, a place of business, whatever, that, that you feel so burdened. I see where this is going. I see where this is headed. I, I want this school, I want this business to begin to turn back to and walk in the ways of God. Maybe today on the 4th of July, you're asking the question, how do you turn a nation? How do you turn a nation to align themselves with the ways of God? Well, that's what we're going to wrestle with uh, this morning as we go through Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me, Nehemiah chapter 7. If you don't have one, uh, we would love to put one in your hands uh, back at the Welcome Center for free as our gift to you. Uh, you can go on the YouVersion app on your phone. If not, it'll be on the screen here behind me. We're actually going to start, uh, so it says chapter 8, but there's a little bit of uh, chapter 7 that we're going to read right at the beginning there. Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 53. Excuse me, 74. That's what I meant to say. 73b, I am all over the place today. All right, here we go. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as in the square, um, as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So at this point in the story, um, the wall is rebuilt. Everybody's kind of settled into their homes, and they say, basically, we want to hear what God's law says. And so they get out the Torah because they didn't have a finished version of the Bible. All they had was really some of the writings of the prophets um, and the book of Moses, which you would know as the part where you fall asleep in your Bible reading plan, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, um, So that was uh, really all they had to go off with, which was what God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai on a way to govern the people. But it was much more than to govern the people. It really was a revelation of God's heart to the people. That they would know he was a God of holiness, that he, they would know he was a righteous God, that they would know he is a loving and a generous God. And so they asked for this to be read, and that's where we are in verse 2. 
So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which is made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could uh, understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. What you see here is that everybody is so anxious to know what God's word says that everybody gathers from daybreak until, um, let me make sure I get this right here, daybreak until noon. That is six hours uh, that they stood there and listened. It's likely they were reading the book of Deuteronomy, which really only takes about two hours and 15 minutes to read, um, but they were explaining and expounding. And so for six hours, they stood in the hot sun to hear God's word. And some of y'all are checking your watch when I'm at 35 minutes. <laughs> When's he gonna be over, right? So later today, I want you to go stand in your lawn. I want you to take Deuteronomy for six hours straight, stand up and just read it, right? I was actually trying to think, like, what are we willing to stand up for six hours for? And I don't know what... what what constitutes like Black Friday shopping? Uh, we probably bring our lawn chairs and sit in those, right? All jokes aside, what you see here is this incredible commitment from the people to actively engage with the Word of God. They, they sacrificed the work they could have been doing. I'm sure their houses weren't finished. They sacrificed the farming. That was probably a very necessary thing to do at that point. They stopped everything and said, we need to hear what it is that God is speaking to us as a people. See, no movement begins without the word of God. Because what happens if we try to start a movement without knowing the word of God is we just start a movement to something other than God. We can't lead people back to God if we don't know who God is. We can't lead people back to God if we don't know what is true of his ways. And what we see so often is that these movements begin apart from the word of God. And they end up in confusion. They end up in frustration because we don't take things, we don't take people to God. We take them to our idea of God, which may not necessarily align with scripture. And so if you feel in any way compelled to lead yourself, to lead your family, to lead a community, to lead a business, you yourself has to know what the word of God says. You have to know who God has revealed himself to be, which leads me to one of my questions for you is, how are you doing? How are you doing in pursuing the word? If you're here and, and you know Jesus, you need to uh, be dedicated to being in the word. If you're here and you don't know God, it would be incredibly beneficial for you to pursue finding out who he is and who he reveals himself to be. Because if you have questions, there's answers in here. If you, if you don't know where to start, we have these back at the Welcome Center. These are um, some 30-day Bible reading plans. There's some bigger ones, uh, I think 90-day and 360 I'll back. We encourage you to grab one of those because if we're going to lead people to God, we have to know what God says. Let's keep going here in verse 5. Jump down to verse 5. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. As he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What you see is this incredible, overwhelming response to the word of God. Like, I can't I'm be honest with you. I've never fallen on my face reading the book of Deuteronomy, except for maybe when I fell asleep. 
But, but here's what happens. Their hearts were so craving God's truth. They were so craving God's ways that when they read it, they were overwhelmed by his goodness. They were overwhelmed by the promises that were laid out in Deuteronomy. They were overwhelmed by all of who God was, that it caused them to fall in humility before the Lord. And you see, as the beginning of this movement starts, it didn't start with rules, It didn't start with moral adherence. It didn't start with them all getting their act together. It started with hearts that were postured in humility before the Lord and overwhelmed by his goodness. Can I tell you that's where it starts for you? It doesn't start by you cleaning yourself up before you come to God. It doesn't start with you coming and and getting things right. It starts with you and me seeing the goodness of God in a way that it overwhelms our hearts seeing the goodness and love of Jesus at the cross, that it so transforms my inner person that I can do nothing but look to him and adore him and worship him. I think so often we reduce church to just following the rules, to just doing the right thing. And, and that's not what the Lord is after. What he's after is your heart. And what you see is these people that surrendered their hearts to the Lord, which is my next question for you this morning. Is your heart surrendered to God? If you want to begin to do something great for others, it starts with you asking the question, what is your posture before the Lord? Do you, when you think about Jesus and you think about what he did at the cross, are you humbled and just sit in awe of that? Or do you stand opposed to God? Like you know what he says, but frankly, you might think you know better. Maybe your heart stands in opposition to him and that way. Maybe you're not opposed to God. Maybe you're fine with him. But really, you're just following the rules. You're just doing what you know you need to do. You're just checking the box. You're just making sure that on your Bible reading plan, somebody saw that you read it. You're just showing up because you have to. You're basically obeying just out of moral obligation and duty. Can I tell you that will not get you to where God is calling you to be? moralism, as I would call it, of just doing the right thing to do the right thing, has never worked. The entire Old Testament is testimony to the fact that none of us have the willpower to obey God apart from a heart that is transformed by the love of God. It will always end in frustration, it will always end in guilt, and it will always end in self-disappointment. Why? Because I'm not God, I can't change me, I need him to change me. And if we're going to begin to try to see people around us come to know God and see a movement, we can't start with the rules with them. We can't expect them to behave like us. We have to introduce them to the overwhelming love of Jesus. The rest of that will follow. What I want you to see in the life of Nehemiah, if you missed the first seven chapters last year, here's really what is true of him and where he starts. Um, For the first I think it was a couple decades of his life, really. He, he gave generously to others. He supported everybody around him financially so that they could keep going. He gave of his own uh, money to do that. He risked his life to help others. Being out on the wall, he was ready to, like, people were ready to kill him. And he stood in the gap. And in fact, they threatened him one time. And he just said, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to protect the people. He faithfully obeyed God's word. Uh, and and called people to do that. He fought against slavery and, in fact, almost entirely abolished slavery uh, at that time, and then he rebuilt the wall. Now, here's why this is important. 
Nehemiah came in, not demanding that the people get this right. He came in and said, let me show you how to do this. All of these things gave him credibility to then have this conversation with other people. But it started with him. If you feel compelled to move a people, move your family, it starts with you modeling, falling deeply in love with Jesus, and then out of that, living rightly. Now, it's not, now I, don't, I don't want you to miss that. We do live rightly. We do are called to live rightly, but it's not to gain God's favor. It's because we have God's favor. Therefore, we begin to live in response of that. That is where true freedom and change comes from. Let's jump into verse 7 here. The Levites, skip all those names, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving meaning so that people understand what is being read. As I uh, read this section, I'm encouraged every time that these guys were only about a thousand years separated from the book of the law of Moses being written. You're about 2,400 years separated from it, and they didn't even understand it. Right? Like, yeah. So it brings me comfort as I read things, and I'm like, I don't know what this is saying. They also didn't know what it was saying, but people began to instruct them in it. And so as they were going through, he not only told them what God said, he helped them know how to apply it to their lives and how they can begin to change, which is the second point that I want to bring to you this morning, that if you want to start a movement, not only does it start with you living this life, is that you have to help others know God. In the same way that these priests began to uh, help other people understand who God was and his ways, uh, we all as believers, not just me as your pastors, we all as believers have an obligation on us given by God that we are called and commissioned to go help others know God. And I think this comes down in two ways. First, that we would help those far from God. The reality is we believe, according to God's word, that those who have not put their faith in Jesus are headed in a trajectory that is really just eternal destruction. It is, it is separated from the love of God. It is dangerous. And so we have all been called to warn, to caution, to guide, and to point to the love of God in the midst of that, that people would turn and begin a movement back to God. This isn't just something we're trying to survive in this life. We are heralds of the good news. We are the ones who have been called to do that. And so often, uh, I'm going to talk about a lot of different things today. I want to talk briefly about how this becomes problematic in a nation that we live in today, specifically and how divisive and divided our world is. Like the news lately is literally causing violence against each other because of the division and, and the, listen, it, they're real conversations, but the way that we have taken them are incredibly uh, difficult. And I think if we're not careful, the same attitude of the age can become part of our hearts as Christians too. Somebody on the other side of an issue all of a sudden becomes the enemy, Somebody who thinks differently, looks differently, or believes differently than us gets this picture of somebody who's against God. And the Bible is very clear. Of course they're against God. They don't know the love of Jesus. Of course they believe the way they believe. Of course they behave the way they behave. Of course that's what's true of their life. Why? Because they have not met the transforming love of Jesus. They don't know how to value what God values because they don't know that God values them. And so uh, for Christians, as we continue to embark on seeing a movement of God, it's not about getting them to our side. It's not about getting the world to agree with us or believe like us. 
excuse me, it is like getting the world to believe like us, but not in those things. It's about getting the world to believe like us in Jesus. Our goal isn't to win people to our opinions. Our goal is to win people to the transforming love of Jesus. That is how a nation begins to turn. That is how your communities begin to turn to the Lord. I want you to see what Romans 10 says, because this is a call for all of us. How then can the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one uh, of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? This is Paul saying, there is a world out there who is in it moving in a direction far from God. You have been given the good news. Would you stand in the gap and redirect them back? Which leads me to my next question for us this morning. Throw it up there. Are there people far from God that you are actively pursuing so that you can introduce them to Jesus? If I were to ask each one of you this morning who claim the name of Jesus and and believe in him, could you name some people who are far from God that you are actively pursuing because you know how much God loves them and you want them to know how much God loves them? It's a good question for us to wrestle with this morning. Here's the other part of helping uh, helping others know God. This would be the second piece to it, that we would help those that are younger in our faith, in the faith. Not only are we called to reach lost people, we're we're called to help those who are younger in the faith than us. This doesn't mean younger in age necessarily, but younger in faith. We're, We're called to help them, grow them, that they would know the way of God. This is true for your children. This is true for the people around you. This is why we invest so much in our kids' ministry, because we want them to understand. That's why we invest in the youth, because we want them to understand, because we feel this call to help grow and mature people. And, and I know this one can be tricky because you don't know where to start. Well, we've made it easy for you. Uh, back at our Welcome Center, there's a couple copy of these. This is a book that a few of us uh, wrote called Foundations, and it basically is a guided mentorship book for you. It will take you through the basics of the faith, uh, help you know uh, how to walk somebody through it, but also for you to go through it yourself. And it explains everything you need to know to get going in your faith, which leads me to my next question. Who are you helping grow in their faith? Not only are there lost people around you that we're called to be pursuing, but there's people that we need to help move along in their faith. Could you name some people this morning that you're helping grow in their faith? Let's keep reading in verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Let me pause right there. Sometimes I get comments like, were you talking to me today? I felt like you were targeting me. Listen, can I tell you, I have never intentionally targeted anybody. The Spirit of the Lord has done that because apparently he did it to them here this morning. Verse 10, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went out to eat and drink and to send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because they now had understood the words that had been made known to them. I love this section of scripture because as I read it, you see this repeated pattern. They're heartbroken over their rebellion. They're heartbroken over the fact that they have run from God. They've now turned in worship to him and are weeping over this being overcome with emotion. And the Levites literally say, hey, 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 hey. It's all good. God has rescued you. God has set you apart. Now let's go party. 
right? Like you're like, that's in the Bible? Yeah, it's actually all over the Bible. A huge chunk of, <coughs> excuse me, a huge chunk of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy is actually teaching the people how to party well, how to celebrate God's goodness, which leads us to our third point this morning, that not only do you start with you, then we have to help others know God, it's that we would all obey God with great joy. That we would obey God with great joy. Joy, you see this commanded through here. Let's celebrate who God is and what he's done in our life. Let's celebrate the freedom that he's given us from sin. And I think we struggle with this one so often because we don't see sin correctly. See, when God tells us not to sin, what we often translate that in our head is God's telling us not to have fun. Right? Like I've talked to people who've said, you know what? I'd come to God, but I'm not really willing to give up what I enjoy. And I think it's just a profound misunderstanding of why God tells us not to sin. He doesn't tell us not to sin because he does afraid that you might have too much fun and be afraid or not want him. Here's why God tells us not to sin. <coughs> sin is not harmful because it is forbidden. Let me unpack that first. Sin is not dangerous and destructive to us because God said, I don't want you to do these things. Sin is forbidden because it is harmful. Does that make sense? God's not saying, oh, I just don't like these things, therefore I'm not letting you do them. He says, no, no, no. These things will harm you. These things will take from you. These things will destroy from you. And as a good father, I'm trying to help you not walk in destruction. And that was the entire story of the nation of Israel. That God gave them these rules and he said, don't uh, marry those who don't walk with the Lord. Don't walk in a way of the world. Don't worship other gods. Don't be greedy. Don't have slaves. He was giving them all of these rules. He told them to take care of their body, to eat good food. Now, he wasn't trying to stop them. He was trying to help them flourish. The rules of God have always been designed for us to flourish. So when God says don't have sex before marriage or to have sexual purity, what he's talking about is not trying to ruin your experiences. He's trying to help you understand that the intimacy in that moment goes far beyond just the moment. It is an emotional connection between two people in covenant before the Lord. He's not trying to take from you there. He's trying to give you a deeper experience there. When God says to give, it's not because he needs your finances. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. When he talks about being generous, it's because he wants you to have a life free from greed. Because he wants you to know the great joy that it is to experience meeting a need for somebody else. Like there's something just so exhilarating to see somebody deeply in need, to hand them what they need, and just to watch the joy brought into them. What God's not trying to take from you. He's trying to give to you. When God calls us to serve other people, it's not because he's not strong enough to do it on his own. It's because he wants you to know what it feels like to show love to somebody, to give of yourself, to exhibit what Christ exhibited for us, that you would enjoy that experience. I could go on and on and on, but can I just challenge you that if there's a rule you don't like from God, begin to ask the question what it is that he's trying to give you that you feel he's trying to take from you. If we as a church model this well, but um, have you ever seen a Christian who uh, is doing God things and they're, they're doing things for the Lord and um, they just look like they ate a bag of lemons the entire time they're doing it, right? Like, like, what are you doing, brother? Serving the Lord. Oh, yeah? Where are you headed? 
going to church, pastor calls me if I don't show up, right? Like, like we've all seen it and maybe that's been some of us in the mirror some days if we're honest. Can I just kind of lay this out before us this morning? Your neighbor will never be interested in the God you claim if that's how we choose to obey the Lord. If we choose to obey God because we're required to and because it's what somebody told us to do, the, the lost person around us is never going to go, oh, I want that. They're going to go, that's terrible. At least I get my Sundays back. Which is why it starts all the way back at the beginning that our hearts would be so moved by God's grace. Our hearts would be so transformed by his love that when we see the rules and ways of God, we go, yes. Of course I get to do that. I get to do what my father has told me would cause me and those around me to flourish. And it's so counterintuitive. But the ways of Jesus are meant to give you life, not take life from you. What you'll see, and we don't have time to cover all the text this morning, so we're not here for six hours, but what you see is they were instructed to throw these, a very specific party that celebrated how God had delivered them back in Egypt, and they set up these booths or these tents, basically, in their backyard, and they did it. Uh, there's a couple things I want to draw your attention to. They did it immediately. They heard what God said, and they said, okay, we will obey him immediately, not in a time to come, not when it becomes more convenient, not when we can afford it. We obey God immediately. And what's so interesting about this is it's so easy to just say, you know what, whatever. But this would have taken work. They had to go. They had to cut down trees. They had to cut down branches. They had to stop doing what they were doing over here to go obey God immediately. And the next part of it was that they obeyed God radically. It wasn't just like, oh, we'll kind of half-heartedly obey God. It was, no, no, no. We're all in, all the way. And here's what it looks like in verse 17. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites, Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Do you see that pattern yet again? So this is going to cost us, but we've never partied like this before. We've never had fun and had great joy in walking in the ways of the Lord like this before, which leads me to a question for you this morning. Is your obedience to God so obscure that it makes people ask questions? Are, are, you, are you obeying God in a way that when people look in in your life, they go, well, you what? <laughs> you do what with your finances? You, you, choose to not do, you choose to not do that? Why? Well, because the pastor told me not to. no. No, because the Lord has so moved me that I found a better life apart from those things. If we want to see our families transformed, if we want to see our neighborhoods, our communities, and our nations, it starts with you. Finding a relationship with the Lord that changes everything. It starts with you knowing the word of God for yourself. It starts with you helping others know God's word for themselves and who Jesus is and, and not who church is and not who Jesus is. Jesus has the power to change everything. And then we obey God with great joy. And you think that's it? That's really, that's what it takes for a national revival? It's all it takes. That we every day would just be the people that God has called us to be, that we would walk in his ways, that we would find the good life that he has called us to live. Let me end with this. Throw it up here. We often overestimate what we can do in the short term and underestimate what God can do through us over the long haul. If we would do the next right thing every day, can I tell you the transformation that would come in your life? 
a transformation that would come in the lives of those around you. And we begin to see this movement in our neighborhoods. We begin to look different. As we sang in that song, on earth as it is in heaven, that really is the call for us as Christians. The, 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 the places we live, and this has been a challenge I've always um, tried to put in my own life, is that our house would really be an oasis of the kingdom of God. That when people show up at our, our house, they know what love is. They know what uh, caring is. They know what generosity is. They know what a family feels like. Why? Because that's how the nations get changed. Because they experience the love of God in a real and tangible way that makes them want to be different. Next week, we're going to talk about um, an incredibly pivotal piece to moving a people. And it's so important. We didn't include it in this sermon because the whole next week is about it. It's about prayer. Uh, and so, in, in fact, in two weeks, we're going to have a day of prayer together from 6 a.m. to 12 a.m. Excuse me, 6 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh, in half-hour slots. Uh, so there'll be some sign-ups out at the Welcome Center. Uh, that We'd encourage you to grab one of those. And uh, David's going to be preaching next week, and he's going to walk us through that. Uh, but, but I say all that to say this. Don't ever give up the vision and dream God has had, has given you for a transformed family. Don't ever give up the burden in your heart to see your community change. Don't ever give up the burden that God has given you to see your workplace change. Why? Because God is a God of the impossible. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us first, and thank you for loving us with just this radical abandonment and sending your son. As we celebrate the freedoms that we have in this country to um, freely proclaim the word of God without fear of repercussion, we know all around the world, brothers and sisters are meeting, uh, wondering if somebody is going to arrest them on their way home for believing in you. God, I, I thank you that we have been given the opportunity to leverage this freedom to make your name known. I pray that we would never waste it. Not just as a church, but as a people of God, that we would never waste the opportunity to point to you. I pray in our hearts that we would all uh, find wherever we are at in our walks with you, whether we're walking with you or not walking with you, that today our hearts would be consumed by an overwhelming awe of who you are that would change everything about our life. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.